Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to episode 90 of the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. It's going to take this country and the whole world a long time to recover from this extraordinary economic situation. But we will recover. This budget meets the moment with a three-part plan to protect the jobs and livelihoods of the British people. One day we'll all be able to take our masks off, and so will the Chancellor. And then you'll see who he really is. And this budget sets it up perfectly, because this is a budget that didn't even attempt to rebuild the foundations of our economy. We're recording and releasing this week's show a day early on Wednesday to bring you a special episode breaking down today's budget. Along with which money experts Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw will be unpicking the key announcements made today by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak and what it all means for your money. We are which. Now, in the lead up to the budget, we've all been wondering if this would be the one where the Chancellor sets out a plan to begin tackling the COVID bill, or if continuing to support individuals and businesses would remain at the forefront. Gareth, what priorities did Sunak lay out today? He kind of came at it in a three-pronged attack. You know, he talked about the continuing support that the government is going to provide to people and businesses to get through the pandemic. You know, so it's the extension of the furlough scheme. It's the extension of grants to businesses and the self-employed, all of the things that the government has done and and, and where it's been spending its money to, to prop up society, really. You know, Sunak committed to, um, an extra £65 billion in additional support. That's on top of the £280 that's already being spent, which moves us quite neatly onto the second prong of his speech, which is, you know, we're going to have to take steps to fix public finances. That's £355 billion worth of borrowing. That's the highest since World War II. You know, we are on war footing with the amount of uh, spending that we're doing. Now, he acknowledged that we can do that because it's super, super cheap to borrow at the moment. And, and that's what he's going to continue to do. So but he was he kind of signaled that the government needs to find a way of paying back the debt. And if interest rates were to increase, that would cost the taxpayer a further twenty five billion pounds if they were to increase by one percent. So he was really open about the fact that 
you know, some of the generous allowances that you have aren't going to grow for a while. We're, we're going to be looking to claw back some of this. And then the final part of his speech was really about building the economy. And, and this was as much about a post-pandemic world as it was a kind of post-Brexit world. Uh, you know, the, he talked about the launch of an infrastructure bank. That was um, a lot of uh, the kind of investment focus was was based up north where the Conservative Party managed to, you know, gain lots of lots of seats from Labour. He talked about free training, free digital training for businesses and free ports as well. These kind of special economic zones with different rules that that make Britain a, be- a great place to, you know, um, do business um, in a sort of post-European Union world. So, you know, it was reassurance for people that, the government will still be there, you know, offering a safety net for them financially. It was a, a warning. They're going to be looking to get that money back. And it was a kind of look into the future to say, this is the kind of economy that this particular government wants to build. Now, we all expected an update on the furlough scheme. And up until last night, when details of the announcement were published by the media, most predicted it would be extended until the summer. But in an unexpected move, Sunak has pushed the extension even further. Jenny, what's the latest here? Well, it's true that it's not much of a surprise that the scheme has been extended. There had been Lots of people calling for that to happen, but what wasn't uh, anticipated, I don't think, was for it to to have been given such a long extension. So the, the furlough scheme or the coronavirus job retention scheme, to give it its proper name, that has been at the heart of the government's support measures. It's protected more than 11 million jobs since uh, it began right at the beginning of the pandemic last March, and it had been due to close at the end of April. Uh, but what Rishi Sunak has done now is confirmed that that will be extended all the way until September. So what's significant about that is that that is actually beyond the end of the roadmap that, that Boris Johnson has set out, the end, the end of June, which I think you know signals a bit of realism about just how long it's going to take for the economy to to work its way back to recovery. The the scheme won't change at all from an employee's point of view. So it will still cover up to 80% of your salary for any hours you can't work, up to a maximum of £2,500 a month. But what will change uh, during the course of the extension is that employers will be expected to pay more towards the scheme. Uh, So from July, they will be uh, paying 10% towards the hours that their staff aren't able to work. And that will go up uh, to 20% for both August and September. And what about the support for the self-employed? Here, Sunak has gone some way to address the issue that many people, it's thought millions, have fallen through the gaps of the government support measures. Gareth, what's changed here? And what about the other people excluded, like the forgotten freelancers? Is it just too little, too late? Well, certainly there are going to be more people pulled into the um, self-employed income support scheme, as it's formally known. You'll remember that uh, anyone that had become self-employed in the 2019-2020 tax year, that's um, from the 6th of April 2019 to the 5th of April um, 2020, they weren't eligible to claim the grant. You needed 
to ha have an average of your tax returns from the previous three years. But if you'd started uh, working in, in that year, you could. Now, the self-assessment uh, tax return deadline for that tax year, 1920, has passed. It passed on the, the uh, 28th of February. It was extended uh, by a month, which means that 600,000 more people are now eligible for a self-employed grant. And there are going to be more grants. So um, uh, in, uh, I think it's around the end of April, uh, you'll be able to apply for a fourth grant that will be worth 80% uh, of your um, average profits over that three-year period, but will include the previous tax year, the 1920 tax year. And then there will be a fifth grant as well that will be available to apply for in July. So the fourth grant will cover January, February um, and March. Um, and then uh, the fifth grant will, will cover April, June and July. That won't be as generous. There is some complexity around it and the detail is still, we're still waiting for that to um, kind of emerge. Uh, but uh, the amount that you get will, will basically depend on how hard you've been hit. Uh, so if you've, uh, if your revenue is down by a certain amount, um, you know, you'll get the full amount. But if it's only d down by a, a lesser amount, you you'll get a lower percentage of it. We're, we're waiting to see the detail on that. So certainly, you know, welcomed for um, a big group of people who, who fell out of the um, eligibility for the grant. But there was no action uh, for some of the people that we've heard from on this show in the past, um, you know, people who uh, earn over the uh, £50,000 uh, higher threshold that, that the government introduced last year, uh, people who set themselves up as uh, limited companies and pay themselves dividends and a, a kind of nominal income, people who get the majority of their income through PAYE and, and a, a, you know, a smaller part from um, self-employment, they, they are groups that have not been um, dragged into the eligibility net for this grant. So, you know, it's, some of the rebuttal to the Chancellor was saying, it's great that you've pulled 600,000 extra people into the self-employed grant, but, but what about the other 2.4 million people who've been excluded from it, who haven't had a penny from it? Um, you know, what about them? And it, it doesn't appear that he listened to those calls. And what are some of the other pledges then that will have an effect on benefits and pay? As well as extending um, those uh, flagship coronavirus support schemes, um, the Chancellor also has announced an extension in support for, for the lowest paid people. What that means in practice is a, an uplift in the amount of universal credit um, that's paid. So that was uh, boosted to, by £20 a week during the pandemic. That is going to continue for another six months. And it's also worth mentioning that the national living wage is, uh, is going up to £8.91 from April, uh, which equates to an annual pay rise of almost £350 for someone working full time. Now, the extension of these support schemes will, of course, come as welcome news to many, but they also come with the question, how are we going to pay for it and the rest of the mounting COVID bill? Sunak said that paying it back will be the job of governments for decades to come, but he did make a start on this work today with a number of tax measures. Gareth and Jenny, tell us more. 
Well, this, this is the huge challenge facing the Chancellor. On the one hand, he needs to try and plug that massive hole in the government's balance sheet after this, this huge, unprecedented spending uh, to support the economy and to support households over the past year. But he also needs to to balance that sort of revenue-raising objective with, with trying to nurture the recovery of the economy and not um, not putting in place measures that will stifle that and tax hikes could really have have, have a negative impact and you know he's he's well aware that if he had gone hard on the on the tax hikes the the outcry would have been uh, would have been tremendous but having said that he he was upfront about the what he called the need to fix public finances. So there aren't any headline tax hikes as such. One of the reasons for that as well, we should say, is that that was a key pledge in the Conservatives' manifesto in the run-up to the election in 2019. Boris Johnson said that there would be no increase in income tax, VAT or national insurance contributions. So they, they are bound by that on one hand. But what the Chancellor has done instead is to freeze certain allowances when normally they would be going up by at least inflation. And this is is what you'll have probably seen splashed across the, the newspapers in the past few days, the, the, um, the term stealth tax. So he's not technically increasing rates, but the effect of freezing them at a specific level is that people will ultimately end up paying more than they otherwise would have. So I'll just get into the into the nitty gritty of um, of what this means. The point at which you start paying the basic rate of income tax, which is twenty percent, that is currently twelve and a half thousand pounds. So anything you earn that's less than that, that is not liable for tax. That allowance is going to be going up to twelve thousand five hundred seventy five pounds from April but it will then stay at that level all the way until April 2026. And the same applies to the threshold for higher rate tax as well. So that's currently £50,000. That will be going up to £50,270 in April. But likewise, it's going to stick there for quite some time all the way to 2026. And what that means is that many people will be pushed into a higher tax bracket. I saw a forecast that said around 800,000 people who wouldn't otherwise pay any income tax at all will become taxpayers before before the next general election. And a similar number uh, will be pushed into the higher rate band as well, when otherwise they would have uh, they would have stayed basic rate taxpayers if if those allowances um, had gone up. And the Chancellor ha- has used his uh, the, the power of the freeze, like Elsa in Frozen, mm-hmm. um, on a whole host of other uh, tax-free allowances, you know, um, capital gains tax, for example. Now, you pay capital gains tax at a rate of, you know, either 10% all the way up to 28%, depending on the, the asset that you're you're selling, on the profits that you make. You, you can make £12,300 worth of profit before you pay any tax. That's your capital gains tax allowance. Now, that's staying frozen until 2026. Um, inheritance tax. You can give away £325,000 uh, before inheritance tax becomes an issue for your heirs. But if you're giving away a property as well, and that's going to your children, your grandchildren, a kind of direct descendant, you can give away another £175,000, which means half a million pounds can go to your heirs. If you're a married couple or in a civil partnership, a million pounds can go to your heirs. Now, that 
the 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 kind of property part of that, the one hundred and seventy five thousand pounds, that was due to increase with inflation um, over the next few years. Uh, that's being frozen as well. And I, I'm looking at the red book. This is the this document that the the government issues whenever the the budget is uh, done, which which kind of puts all of its costings in there and you know where it's making its money and where it's losing money from the kind of initiatives that it's introduced capital gains tax last tax year it made 9.8 billion pounds that that was the revenue from capital gains tax that's going to rise by five almost five billion pounds until 2026 uh, so 14.4 billion is the forecasted amount of, of revenue from capital gains tax. Inheritance tax is going to rise by 1.5 billion as well. So you can see as these fresh thresholds are frozen, assets are going to continue to rise in value, but people will be able to, you know, take less profit tax-free or give away less to their heirs tax-free. And that means more money in the pockets of the government. We are which. Now, listeners might remember that we've been following the acceptance of cash in the UK very closely on the podcast and as an organisation. Many retailers stopped taking it during the pandemic and last year the contactless limit went from £30 to £45. Jenny, now it's gone up again, but is this a good thing? Yes, it's going up all the way to uh, £100 later this year. Um as, as you've hinted at there, Lucia, the, the original um, increase to £45 last year was in response to uh, fears around uh, the hygiene of handling cash and to make it easier to, to, you know, to encourage more contactless payments during the pandemic. I think a lot of people who are used to paying with, with contactless now, and there'll be many more people in that in that boat um, in in the past year, a lot of people will will embrace that. Um, it is a very convenient way to pay, but there have been some concerns raised around the security of of, of this step potentially making card theft more attractive for, for criminals. But I saw some quite reassuring stats from UK Finance earlier, the um, banking uh, trade body, which says that actually contactless fraud rates are very low and have uh, have actually fallen. Losses fell by 20% to £8.2 million in the first half of, of, of last year of 2020, which encompasses some of the period when uh, when the, the contactless limit had increased, which is equivalent to 2p in every £100 spent using contactless. And that's, yeah, that, that's gone down since since 20, 2019. So that hopefully should should help to allay some of the fears on that front. I think it's also worth noting that if you're a victim of fraud on a contactless card, you don't lose the money. It's an unauthorised payment. And unless the bank can prove that you've been gross, grossly negligent with your card, uh, it should reimburse you. So, um, you know, you put the limit up to £100,000 because you will always get your money back if you're evicted. That's not a serious uh, proposal from me there, I assure you. Um, but but. But if you are worried about the fact that, yes, a, a potential um, a, a theft could extract more money from you, be reassured that your bank should reimburse you um, if you do lose money from an unauthorised transaction. Yeah, that's a really good point, Gareth. You know, theft or fraud on a contactless card, your rights in that situation are no different than any other type of fraud happening on a card. So moving now on to property, today Sunak expanded on a scheme announced last month to make it easier to get a 95% mortgage. Gareth, can you explain how this will work and talk a little about the concerns it could raise house prices? 
Yes, I must admit, I felt a little bit like Keir Starmer where, with his rebuttal to um, the the Chancellor's speech, because this is something that uh, existed, you know, seven years ago uh, under a previous Conservative uh, administration. It was called the Help to Buy Mortgage Guarantee. And basically, it was designed to encourage lenders who were nervous about lending to people with small deposits to encourage them to offer mortgages to people uh, by giving a, a kind of Treasury backed guarantee so that if, you know, if those um, uh, people with small deposits ended up defaulting on their payments, you know, the, the, the banks weren't on the hook for all of that. Um, and now this has reappeared in a slightly different guise. It's not going to fall under the help to buy branding because that, that that is a brand in itself. It works on similar principles. So the scheme will involve the government guaranteeing 95% mortgages. That's the loan to value you're taking out. So if you only have a 5% deposit to put down, these kinds of deals could be for you. And, and the reason why they're focused on, on these types of borrowers is because this market has crumbled during the pandemic. Banks have basically withdrawn all of their product in the 95% LTV space. Now, when I bought my flat, I bought at a, a 95% uh, LTV and there were loads of deals out there. Uh, that was only four years ago and now it's completely dried up. The design of it is to give lenders the confidence to come back to the market. You know, major lenders are going to be involved. Um, there's talk of Barclays, HSBC, Lloyds Bank, NatWest and Santander, you know, big high street giants that they'll be offering deals from April. You know, others, including Virgin Money, expected to, to follow shortly. The scheme will be available to, to new and existing properties. Uh, it's not just available to first-time buyers as well, but, but anybody that wants to move with a, a 5% deposit. But there is a limit on the value of the property you can purchase, which is £600,000. You know, the argument that you've seen a lot with this is that if someone's buying a 600 grand house... Uh, that means they've only got a 5% deposit. That means, yes, they're putting down £30,000, which is a significant amount, but it, it's not a mind-blowing deposit. But it means that their income is high enough for them to borrow £570,000. You know, a bank will typically lend you around four times your salary. So hold on, beep, boop, boop, let me get my calculator out. You would need a combined household income of £142,000 in order to borrow that amount of money. And, you know, if you're on that amount, do you really need the government to come in and, and offer you that support? And I think the other concern is that the scheme won't necessarily make property affordable for first-time buyers. It will enable them to borrow more. But we've done research that suggests that the help-to-buy schemes that the government has introduced in the past has contributed to property price inflation. So, you know, if sellers know that there are more buyers on the market and there's more demand for property, perhaps prices are going to rise and that could push property out of reach for the people that this scheme is designed to help. So we really need to see how things pan out. But certainly if you've got a small deposit uh, and you've been struggling to get a mortgage, there is help on the way. And if you're in the process of moving house, you've probably been keeping a close eye on the rumours about the stamp duty holiday extension. Jenny, what was today's announcement here? 
Well, it's what many people who are mid-house purchase uh, will have been crossing their fingers for for, for, for a while now, um, Gareth included, <laughs> um, which is that the stamp duty holiday is going to be extended. It was due to end at the end of this month on the 31st of March, and it will now uh, continue in some form until the end of September. So the the genesis of, of, of this holiday um, was that it, uh, you know, it was d- designed to prop up the housing market uh, towards the beginning of, of, of the pandemic. And it, and it really has uh, served that purpose. It's, it's lit a fire under the housing market. Uh, transaction volumes have been, have been huge. Um, and it's, it's, it's also been attributed with uh, driving up the average value of a home by 8.5% in 2020, which, which is huge. But it was, you know, it was becoming very clear that um, that, that cliff edge was looming and you know a lot of buyers were were facing big bills uh, if they if they couldn't complete their transactions by the end of March so to address that the stamp duty holiday in its current form will continue until the 30th of June what that means is that home home buyers in England and Northern Ireland don't have to pay any tax at all on the first five hundred thousand pounds of the property price, which means that you could, in practice, be saving up to fifteen thousand pounds. So it's it's no small change. And then after that point, uh, so from the first of July to the thirtieth of September, the tax free threshold will be tapered. So it will drop then from five hundred thousand pounds to two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, which means an effect saving potentially of of two and a half thousand pounds I should stress that uh, these these changes do just apply to England and Northern Ireland nothing so far has been confirmed for Scotland and Wales but it is possible that um, that, that similar measures will will be uh, coming down the line and finally to touch on savings and investments it was also confirmed today that the Treasury will be launching green savings bonds Gareth what will these look like? The money that's raised using the bond will be earmarked for projects on um, renewable energy and clean, clean, forgive me, transportation. That's the kind of thing, you know, if you want to put your your money along with your morals, then, then this is something that you might find attractive. There's lots we don't know. We don't know how much the government's hoping to raise. And when we know that, it often gives you an indication of um, how long the bond will be open for investment, because if it's a relatively small amount, it will get um, filled up quite quickly uh, and you won't be able to invest. You don't know what return you're getting. You don't know what the minimum and maximum investments in. So we're, we're waiting for more details on that. If you want to kind of invest in our green future, then um, this could be an option for you. Thank you to Jenny and Gareth and thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Money podcast. If you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Witch Money. For more on what the budget means for your money, visit witch.co.uk forward slash budget 2021. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver. Hold up. 